Egypt. You have not yet obeyed the Lord. Let my people go. You're listening to Israel National Radio. We're on a mission from God. Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the Noahide Nations. We thank you for being here on the Noahide Nation show today. I'm your co-host Ray Patterson, and uh, we have kind of a, an extended show from our last show. I should say an extension of the last show, and uh, Jacob uh, has decided and been gracious enough to uh, agree to come back and be a guest host with me so that we can continue to learn a little bit more about prophecy. Before we get there, though, I want to uh, reiterate a couple things. Number one, let me go ahead and run down the seven major categories of the Noahide laws, and actually there's not there's only seven major ones. Let me just go ahead and give you those real quick folks and uh, number one is not to commit idolatry uh, number two is to not commit murder uh, not to commit theft not to commit blasphemy no uh, sexual transgressions of any kind don't eat the limb of a living animal and also to set up courts of justice now the courts of justice actually fall into number six and Hashem had that set up with Adam so that during the those you know, the ten generations from uh, Adam to Noah, uh, they had a means by which to judge based upon the the other six laws. And then after the flood, Hashem gave Noah the seventh one, which was not to eat the limb of a living animal. He gave mankind permission to eat meat. So those are the the seven. Also, I wanted to. Let you know that you're always welcome, and we certainly appreciate you doing this, but you're always welcome to uh, send us emails uh, where you can ask us questions. If they're of Jacob, I can make sure that Jacob gets them, and maybe we can have him come back on the air and answer uh, the questions. But please do, folks, uh, continue to send those to noahide at israelnationalradio.com. So... Enough with the small talk. Let's get back into the prophecy teaching because I have been waiting an entire week for this, Jacob. <laughs> and it's been killing me and burning a, burning a, a, a hole in me until I could, could ask you this. I mentioned last week, and I knew we didn't have enough time, but the whole thing with Billam. Was, was Billam considered a good prophet? Was he considered a, a bad prophet? I, I know that he was a a Gentile and, and not a Jew, but he seemed to go back and forth just multiple times. Uh, you know, I want to hurt Israel, but I I can't hurt Israel, so I don't hurt Israel. He just, you know, he just did so many things that it's hard to uh, determine where this guy was. Was he just a crazy person? <laughs> so help well, me out here. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> well, as I've learned, uh, Bilam. Uh, was was a prophet. He was a uh, a non-Jewish prophet. One of the facts that attests to this is that we actually have his prophecies preserved today in the Torah. How many other Gentile prophets' prophecies are preserved in the Torah? I uh, can't boy. actually think of any. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's a, a toughie. Well, I guess some that were revealed to Adam. So he's he's basically up there with Adam and Avraham and 
Well, Noah, Noah, and I mean, Noah. Uh, he so, received the, the seven from Hashem, even though six were reiterated. Right. So one way of looking at Bil'am is that when he was good, he was very, very good. And when he was bad, he was very, very bad. <laughs> so does that mean, does that mean he can, is he switching back and forth, good prophet, bad prophet? Or I mean, you know, good prophet, false prophet? Uh, well, I'm really if confused. You look at it, all of the prophecies that we have from him, um, we know that Hashem is directly communicating with him as a prophet. Right. So clearly at that time, he must have been a righteous individual. And in fact, a pious individual, as we as we learned before, because in order to be a prophet, you have to go, you have to meet those basic criteria. So at the time that he was prophesying, he was a righteous person. He kept pushing this point, though he wanted to find if there was some way to destroy the nation of Israel. And of course, Hashem keeps telling him, "No, there's not." <laughs> um, but he yeah, does here's keep here's a little prophecy. prophecy for you, Billam. No, there's none. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we learn from the oral tradition too that that after this time period, after he receives these prophecies, he's not happy with the answers. And he does, in fact, end up going out, going on to become a wicked person. And through a number of different means, tries to actually take matters into his own hands and destroy the nation of Israel, despite God telling him that that's not going to happen. So I guess what we can learn from this is that uh, even a prophet, even someone who is at the high level that they can they can receive prophecy from God uh, is not immune from basically falling and uh, you know deciding you know what I'm going to go do evil. I, I can only believe that if he wasn't insane, he was just uh, egotistical. Because how right. do you go from being that close to Hashem to move away? from Hashem I mean it's almost like an intentional endeavor on his part uh, and I guess to a degree that is kind of insane <laughs> I don't know maybe not officially but there's got to be something wrong with him you start thinking like that But well, in, in a sense ahead. too if you look at his at his situation he didn't really necessarily know exactly what Hashem was doing with the nation of Israel I mean, not to make excuses for a wicked person, but uh, <laughs> just to understand sort of his mindset, he didn't really necessarily have the whole big picture view of what was going on like we do today. Okay, I'm And with he you. may have thought, well, look, here's a nation that's a threat to the country in which I live. Right. And I need to be a patriot and go out and help protect my, my nation okay. from this threat or something. Good point. Good point. I think most of us, well, at least me, I don't want to blame anyone else for this, but me, uh, kind of looks at it in terms of of today, you know, what the nation of Israel uh, represents, what we know that they represent, who they are. And so Billam, you know, may not have had that advantage. So I guess I should probably cut him a little slack. (laughs) But then at the same time, he did know that Hashem said, no, I don't want them harmed. Right. Speaking of you know prophets, I mean there had to be uh, like if you say if these prophets got together to prophesy, there must have been hundreds and hundreds, possibly thousands of prophets. Yeah, at the height uh, of the prophetic academies, there were thousands of prophets at any one time. Well, um, well, how come we only have? I mean, the knock only has a few prophets. Well, I mean, that's a really good question. We only have, <laughs> like you said, like maybe there's the 12 prophets and there's we have a handful of, of books by the prophets 
Yeah, what's funny is some are considered some are considered mega profits, and others are considered you know minor profits. Uh, mm-hmm. That like Daniel, it wasn't considered one of these you know mega profits, but he was a prophet, but he was one of the minor prophets. Uh, uh, Zechariah, you know, it just so it's weird that we have only s- such a few number of books that are uh, about you know from prophets when there were literally. Thousands of them. How how can that be? How would why would Hashem not use all of them? <laughs> or has he? <laughs> I mean, well, why Hashem didn't want to use all of them? Um, I guess he was. Uh, Hashem is uh, much more concise. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> Very um, no, but what, what we know about the prophets is that when one would become a prophet, um, sometimes you would become a prophet, and you would never receive a prophecy your whole life. So the majority of the prophets would simply never receive a prophecy. There was no... Hashem simply didn't necessarily have anything that they needed to have communicated to them. Um, but the the mere fact of becoming a prophet and having gone through the training and the, uh, um, the perfection of one's own uh, character traits that they went through, that in itself was was the benefit that they were getting from it. It wasn't necessarily an issue of, well... I'm doing this so that I can receive a prophecy. You're doing it so that you can receive a certain degree of perfection that you're you're going through. Um, okay. However, there are many other prophets, um, many of the prophets that did receive a prophecy would, for example, maybe receive a prophecy that was intended for him only. For example, it was an insight into how the spiritual realms worked that mm-hmm. he didn't have before. So it was something for him personally, and of course that would never be recorded. Or it may have been a prophecy. Um, there were many prophets that received prophecies for uh, telling them, like, go to this crossroads and tell this person so-and-so, or such-and-such. And so, of course, that there was no reason to record that. It was simply a, a, one, a single one-off mission. Like with Jonah, who goes to Nineveh to basically tell them, repent. Um, there were many prophets like that, and those aren't all necessarily recorded. All of the prophecies that were ever received that had a bearing or a message for future generations, um, those were all recorded and are all in the Tanakh, specifically. All the Hmm. other prophecies that were received were not, uh, they weren't intended for future generations, so there was simply no reason to ever record them. So the ones that are in the Tanakh need to be paid close attention to. Right, because Hashem basically specifically commanded them, record this for future generations, because they will need to know this. Interesting, interesting. Okay, let's go to a question that I know plagues a a, a lot of people, and that has to do with the Mashiach. Right. And whether or not he is or will be a prophet, have the capacity for prophecy, uh, I know the Rambam talks in, in great deal, uh, in, I should say in great detail about the Mashiach in, in signs, and maybe we can you know go through some of those signs. But I'm also curious: is he going to be a, a prophet who prophesies before the people, or as a result of him being anointed, are there then going to be a large number of prophets who kind of manifest who never knew they were prophets in the past? What, what, what's your take on that? Well, there are some that say he will be Moshiach, or, or who say that the Moshiach will 
basically be a prophet. There are some that say he won't. Um, whether or not that's the case, uh, or which which of those is true, I don't know. Um, we do know from the uh, um, from the uh, you know from the Jewish tradition how to identify who's who the Moshiach is, um, okay. but it's not necessarily based on whether or not he's a prophet. Okay. Um, it's based on what he does specifically. Um, okay. Can you give us some examples? Well, we know a little bit about who he's going to be. Um, we know that the Moshiach will be um, from the house of David. Um, he will be someone that has been um, been declared king, basically, which can only happen by a prophet. So a prophet will be involved in this whole process. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, actually, if you think about it, the way kingship is handed down is similar to the way prophecy is handed down, in a sense. Um, there's two ways someone can become um, can be declared king, basically. Either a prophet declares you king of Israel, or a previous king says, here's my heir. You're the king. So one of those two ways. Hmm. Um, but um, at any rate, so if a, if a king of Israel, just because someone's king of Israel, though, doesn't necessarily mean that they're the Moshiach. In order to be the Moshiach, we have to look for a person who is a king of Israel from the house of David. Um, they have to be scrupulously Torah observant, uh, a, a great Torah observant, pious individual. And then if he... Well, let me actually just read here from... The Rambam says in uh, the laws of kings and their wars, towards the very end when he's talking about the Mashiach, he says, If a king will arise from the house of David who diligently contemplates the Torah and observes its miswot as prescribed by the written law and the oral law, as David his ancestor, will compel all of Israel to walk in the way of Torah, and rectify the breaches in its observance, and fight the wars of God, we may with assurance consider him Moshiach. And then it says further, if he succeeds in the above, builds the temple in its place, and gathers in the dispersed of Israel, he is definitely the Moshiach. So that's it. So how do we determine who the Moshiach is? We don't really look at, at qualifications so much as we look at results. If okay. he does these things, then we can say, okay, this guy's the Moshiach. Definitely. Okay, and it doesn't sound like anything there in those signs have anything really to do with prophecy. But as long as we're on the subject, is it the <laughs> Sanhedrin who would then officially announced that he is indeed the Mashiach because of this, 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 and this being completed? Well, that's a good question. It doesn't necessarily ever say that um, there's an official process to announcing so-and-so is the Mashiach. Okay. It's more of a uh, something that we'll probably notice after the fact. Where we'll actually look back and go, hey, you know what? So-and-so was the Mashiach. Because look, <laughs> all these things happened. And then we'll all go, yeah, okay. Nice. Now moving on. <laughs> it's not necessarily something that we'll get uh, super hung up on. Um, or or indeed, if you really look at it, it's not something that we necessarily need to recognize beforehand. Because, well, you know, if anyone came along and said, hey, let's work on br 